0: Colossians 3 verses 16 and 17, if you're using a copy of the church Bible, you'll find that on page 984, and again, we are looking together at these two verses, Colossians 3, 16 and 17, I know you're going to find it very useful to have your own copy of scripture open and to be reading along with me this morning, and let me briefly again call on the Lord before we come to the preaching of his word. Father in heaven, we do pray that you would make us a people who understand what it is that you want from us in worship. We pray that you would help us to understand that part of acceptable worship is singing your praises from your word. We pray, our God, that you would cause the word of Christ to dwell in us richly, even as it's preached and proclaimed this morning. We pray that you would give us a new song, that you would put a new song in our mouths, even praise to our God. We pray, Lord Jesus, that all of your sacrificial work, all of your atoning sacrifice, all of your propitiating death and reconciling death on the cross would be applied to us this morning in freeing our hearts to sing your praises. So we pray that you would bless the ministry of your word as it's read and preached this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're looking at Colossians 3, and there the Apostle Paul has moved into what is the applicatory section of this epistle. And he has most recently reminded those to whom he's writing that they are not to fall prey to counterfeit religion because they've died with Christ in union with Jesus. They've been buried with him. And then at the top of this chapter, the Apostle Paul says, If then you were raised with Christ, in verse 1, Seek the things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth. And then the apostle goes into a very specific application section in which he tells his hearers to put off certain things and to put on other things since they have put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that section of putting on, we find these words beginning in verse 16, let the word of Christ Dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Through him, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Well, I wonder if I asked you this morning who your favorite singer-songwriter was, who you would say. I'm sure some of you would say one of the Beatles or James Taylor or Leonard Cohen or any number of well-known singer-songwriters of that epoch of American history. I hope you wouldn't say Lady Gaga or Adele, because if you would, we need to talk after. That's a serious thing. But I'm sure all of us would have an opinion. All of us would have a favorite singer-songwriter. If you're one of those hipper-than-thou people, you would pull some name out of a hat that nobody heard of, so you could seem like you're cooler and hipper in the songwriters that you know. And yet, I wonder if any of you would say, Jesus is your favorite singer-songwriter. I have a friend who wrote an article about Jesus singing the Psalms, and in that article my friend says, who is the best songwriter you've heard? I'd like to suggest that it should be Jesus. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the author and finisher of the Psalms. He is the heavenly poet who inspired the Psalms of David's soul and ours and assures us that God will never leave us nor forsake us. Jesus not only leads us into the presence of his father to hear us sing, but he joins the choir. We love to sing the Psalms because they are God's inspired songs. And who better is there than Jesus To help us sing them. Now, as uh, clever as that may seem to you, it is absolutely biblically solid. I don't know if you knew this, but uh, tucked away in that great psalm of the sufferings of jesus psalm 22 there is this little phrase after the agonies of christ after he cries out my god my god why have you forsaken me why are you so far from helping me my god i cry to you in the daytime but you do not hear and in the night and am not silent but you are holy and on the praises of israel and then he talks about his tongue being dried up like a potsherd and bulls of bashan piercing him, piercing his hands and his feet. And that great psalm of suffering in which Jesus is crying out in dereliction through David, by his spirit, so many thousands of years before he actually cries it out on the cross, says this, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing your praises. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that that's Christ Christ talking about leading as the worship leader of his people. In Reformed churches, we don't have a worship leader. Jesus is the worship leader. He leads his people in heavenly worship. He opens the heavenly throne room up to us, and then he sings with us the very songs he inspired for us so that we should be able to say, if someone asks us, who is your favorite singer-songwriter? We should be able to say it's Jesus. Well, I want us to look this morning at this short section in which the apostle is admonishing his people to let the word of Christ dwell in them richly, teaching one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with melody in the heart to the Lord. That is an integral part of worship. You know, I noted last week or the week before that, Uh, So many who talk about worship talk about the music part of the worship service that's actually never done in the Bible. Um, The Bible does call that part of worship praise, praising God. When Jesus says, I will sing your praises with my people, he is speaking about the singing aspect of the worship service. And yet there is something beautiful. You know, one of you said to me last week, one of the things I love and I wish you had highlighted, and I wish I had highlighted this, about the reformed worship services and worship throughout the history of the church is that there is a dialogical element to it. It is not spectator sport. Sometimes people say, why do we stand and sit so much? and Why do we do this? Because you're participating, because it's not entertainment, because my job is not to entertain you, because our musician's job is not to entertain you. Because our job is together collectively to form the people of God, worshiping God. As he speaks, we respond in praying. As he speaks again, we respond in singing. As he speaks again, we respond in giving. As he speaks again, we respond. We respond to everything God is doing. As the triune God is speaking through his word, his people are responding to him in worship. And one of the most wonderful things is that our God has commanded us to be a singing people. Um, uh, I'll never forget after I was converted, um, maybe within a week I met my best friend and he was the weirdest person I've ever met in my life. We'd be driving down the highway and he'd say, hey man, you mind if we listen to the Bible on tape? And I'm like, I guess so. (laughs) And uh, on one of our drives, which were so memorable and and I cherish so much now, so many, many years later, he said, hey man, I'm going to teach you a song, and he has an awful voice, worse than mine, and he started singing, great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, in the city of our God, in his holy mountain. And he started saying, okay, now you sing this line. And I'm like, dude, I have never met anybody like you. <laughs> I had never, maybe you've never met somebody. But you know what he was doing? He was obeying Colossians three sixteen and 17. He was obeying the Lord. He knew that God said, one of the things that we are to do as Christians is to teach one another in Psalms, in hymns, and in spiritual songs, and that we are to sing with melody in our hearts. You know, sometimes men have a hard time with this. I want to say this before we dive in here. Sometimes men, especially men, don't like to sing out. Men, if you do not sing out in in worship, you are being disobedient to Jesus. Part and parcel of what it means to be a Christian is that God has redeemed us to be a singing people who sing his praises, who from the heart delight to lift up our voices and to sing psalms, the very things that he inspired, an inspired songbook. Words that God has given us to sing to him. Other portions of scripture, Habakkuk was written to the chief musician, the song of Miriam in Deuteronomy, the song of Moses, the song of Moses and the Lamb, the song of Zechariah, the song of Mary, the song of Elizabeth. The Bible is giving us songs. And then, and then there are these hymn choruses. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 was one of those early Christian hymns and portions of First Timothy where it says, uh, faithful is this saying. M- many scholars think those are hymns. And then there are the great beloved hymns of the church, aren't there? There are those hymns of Isaac Watts and Newton and William Cowper and the Wesley Brothers, those great hymns that we cherish and we love so much. And we are commanded, we are commanded by our God to sing those things this morning. Today, I want us to look at two things. I want us to look at what we are to do with regard to singing psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs. Then I want us to look secondly at how we're to do that, what we're to do, and how we're to do that. Well, will notice that the apostle says in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now the command is not first and foremost to sing. He doesn't say, be a joyful people, sing to the Lord his praises. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now that's super important because what the apostle is doing at the outset is he is telling us What the foundation of everything that we sing is supposed to be the word of Christ. Now, you may hear that and you may think, "Okay, does that mean that I I am only to sing the red letter words in a Bible? If you have a red letter Bible, throw it out. Let me buy you a new one. We'll just help you understand that the whole Bible is the word of Christ. When Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, he means everything that Jesus by his spirit has breathed out from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22. He means every word from Genesis to Revelation. It is all the prophetic revelation of God in Christ. But there is a special sense in which the apostle is giving us a redemptive historical development. He is not just saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, that is sing Psalms. He doesn't say that. He does say, sing psalms, but he doesn't say that what we're to sing is only the psalms. There is, in the Reformed Church, a a huge tradition of only singing psalms. Um, Your first response to that might be revulsion. It shouldn't be, but it's understandable because most of the church in America has never really ever sang a a psalm. Um, we sang a psalm this morning. We sang two, actually. Um, It's really a sad indictment on the evangelical church that they don't love to sing things that God, the Holy Spirit, has breathed out perfectly. Um, In the words that he's breathed out, you know, there there is a... a southern Presbyterian theologian who wrote a book. Uh, it goes under the title Sacred Eloquence. And in that book, he says, we ought not ever dare put words in the mouth of the Holy Spirit that he did not speak. Um, many people do that. They, they, they make the Bible say things they want it to say rather than realizing that the Holy Spirit has breathed out the very words in the Hebrew In the Psalms, in the order in which he breathed them perfectly. This is how Jesus could say not one jot or tittle would pass away till all was fulfilled. The absolute inspiration of the scriptures. And God has given us that, that songbook. But one of the things that we see as we come into the New Testament is that the apostles are everywhere showing us the Christological import of the Psalms. Everywhere, Hebrews chapter 1 and 2, almost supremely over all other places, teaches us that every psalm is in some way about Jesus Christ. It is either talking about some aspect of his death and his resurrection, uh, either typologically through the experience of David and the agony that David experiences and then the deliveries that David has, or it's speaking about Jesus Christ as he is speaking prophetically through David, like Psalm 40, where uh, Jesus is speaking and he says uh, in the in the volume of the book, it's written of me. I delight to do your will, oh my God, and your law is within my heart. That is Jesus speaking. Or Psalm 2. The writer of Hebrews tells us in, in Hebrews 1 that uh, it's the father saying to the son, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. That that's not... God saying that to David, that is God the Father saying it to God the Son. Or Psalm 45, where God the Father says to God the Son, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The Father calls the Son God. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom, for you have loved righteousness and hated sin. therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Or the writer of Hebrews says Psalm 102, is about christ when the father says to the son you yahweh in the beginning laid the foundations of the the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands and so we see as we look at the way the apostles are reading the psalms we see that they are seeing that the psalms were always meant to be read christologically that they're all about the lord jesus remember jesus himself on the road to Emmaus as he's walking in his post-resurrection appearance with those two on the road, and it says he opened to them the scriptures and taught them in it all the things about himself in the, the law and the Psalms and the prophets. And so there is a redemptive historical development. And yet it is one that is built on us knowing and being grounded in and being filled by the Word of Christ. You know, I want to say this this morning. The people I've known who sing the best in worship are the people who know the scriptures the best and who love Christ the most. The people who sing best in worship are the people who know the scriptures the best and love Christ the most because they are singing out of a fullness of their hearts. They are full of the Word of Christ. If, if I find myself to be deficient in singing in worship, it is probably because I'm not spending enough time in the word, seeing the Lord Jesus in the scriptures, sitting at his feet, and having that word fill us. It is, it is our job, it is our job to be filled with the word and to understand how that word centers on Christ. Notice what Paul says. He says, let, think about that, allow you, allow the word of Christ to dwell in you richly, Can it be said of me that I am a person in whom the word of God dwells richly? Can people say what they said about Bunyan, if you cut him, he bled bibline? Can it be said about us that out of the abundance of the heart, we speak God's word? I grew up around a very well-known theologian of the 20th century and would often ask my mom about him because I was very young when we would spend time with him, and um, I would... I would ask mom stories after I was converted about him because I was so fascinated by the things he had written and that we had known him. and and, uh, My mom said, you know, when Dr. Van Til was older, in his later years, we thought he was losing his mind. She said, because whenever I asked him a question, uh, he would respond by just quoting some scripture and we wouldn't understand the connection. And she said, now, so many decades later, we realize that he knew God's word so well and we didn't, that he was answering our question from God's word perfectly, but we didn't know the scriptures well enough to know what he was doing. It's a fascinating story that we would be so full of God's word as it centers on Christ That we would be able to speak to one another. Notice that before uh, the apostle ever talks about singing, notice this. He says in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. There is first and foremost a didactic nature to, to what we are to learn to sing. There's a didactic nature. There is a teaching one another, just like my friend taught me so early on in my Christian experience. We should be eager to teach one another the great truths of God from the great psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that we sing. Um, John Frame has an interesting thought on this. He says, you know, in our day, one of the big hang-ups we have with getting this and getting what worship should really look like with regard to the people of God collectively singing God's word together, he says, is because in our culture, uh, music is almost entirely entertainment. Frame says, you would think it the strangest thing in the world if one of our political leaders got up and sung some new legislation. <laughs> but that's what God says. God tells David to sing 178 verses about his legislation in Psalm 119. It's, it's odd to us because it's so contrary to what we may experience in our day, and yet there is this didactic element. There's a teaching element. We are to be teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Listen to this. Sinclair Ferguson captures this just so phenomenally. He says, um, well, he does have it here. He says, when the word dwells in you richly, You make melody to the Lord in your heart, but your words may be directed to yourself or to those who are round about you because you are encouraging yourself. You are preaching God's word to yourself when you sing. My friends, we would be in a sorry state if the only preaching we ever heard was the preaching of ordained ministers. We need to learn as we sing to preach to ourselves and to preach to one another Teaching and encouraging each other as we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord in your hearts. I love that. We would be in a sad state if the only preaching you ever listen to is the preaching of an ordained minister. We are to be preaching to ourselves and to one another when we gather to sing. We are singing collectively, teaching and admonishing each other the precious truths of scripture. Now, that He gets another problem, because the evangelical church has been so incredibly weak over the decades on a lack of substance in what is sung, and yet that's not the the great legacy that we have in the church, Alistair Begg. I have to read this to you. He says, over the centuries, Isaac Watts, John Newton, William Cowper, and many others provided the church with biblical theology in memorable, melodic form. Today, men such as Keith Geddes, Stuart Townend are doing the same. We should be encouraged by the fact that In Christ Alone has become something of an anthem for the church in the first decade of this century. As Alec Motier has rightly observed, when truth gets into a hymn book, it becomes the confident possession of the whole church. Perhaps all that is needed to expose the shallowness of our songs and to cause us to praise God as we ought is for pastors and poets and musicians to drink from the same fountain. Then biblical exposition will issue in song and our hymns will be full of the gospel. I love that. What Beg is saying is that if we would obey the first part of Colossians 3.16, then Everything that we would be teaching one another would be indicative that we had been letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Um, There are things in the scriptures that most Christians have no idea about. If you know without looking it up, tell me about Jeremiah's sash after the service. There are things all over the scriptures that God has given us that we know nothing about. There are things in the Bible I know nothing about because we haven't given ourselves to a diligent study of Scripture. You know, at the gym, I have to, and it grates at the core of my being, I have to look at the wall with the uh, pagan and secular maxims they put up every week, and there's never Scripture. And um, and it, I was reminded of something Phil Riken said once. He said, you know, the the abundance of secular maxims in our culture is indicative that we're undergoing a famine of the word of God. And I would go further. I'd say the weakness of the songs that the church universal tends to sing shows that the church is suffering a famine of the word of God. You know, one of the reasons we love the depths and the riches of the hymns, what what Motier says is that rich repository um, is because they're substantive expositions of scripture. They are, and I've always liked to call them this, there are many sermons for the soul to sing. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying our, our singing collectively in worship should be sermons for our souls and the souls around us to sing. They are teaching us to take the sermons we hear and to sing them to God. The substance, the depths, the riches, the glories of Jesus, the glories of heaven, the glories and majesties of our God. And notice that as Paul continues, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching one another in all wisdom. That there is a sense in which you can know the Bible and yet not know it wisely. There is a need for us to understand the depths of the wisdom of Scripture. There is a sense in which we need to know an appropriate time to sing. There is a proverb that says, One who sings to a heavy heart is like vinegar. That... If you had a friend who was going through a hard time and you started singing a, a happy, bouncy song, it'd be like pouring vinegar on them. Um, it takes wisdom. It takes wisdom to know what to sing and how to sing what we're singing and why we're singing what we're singing and when we're singing what we're singing. It takes thoughtfulness. It takes spiritual understanding. It, it In fact, very interesting, it's in this book that the apostle says, All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. So it takes knowing the one in whom all the wisdom is hidden and then receiving from his word and his fullness both the content and the manner in which we are to teach each other in songs. But then notice that the apostle tells us that we are to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, There is an argument to be made, and I would not do you uh, any good if I didn't tell you this. There is a very potent argument to be made that these are different titles for psalms. My psalm-only friends have a very powerful argument. To dismiss it lightly shows our ignorance of theology and church history. Um, I don't think it's teaching that. Um, I do think when it says that Jesus sang a hymn... In Matthew 26, 30, uh, on the eve of his death with his disciples after the institution of Passover, he sang the Hallel, Psalm 113 to 117. Um, That's a fairly uh, standard uh, educated guess, given the time in which the Passover occurred and what the Jews would sing. And so there is an argument that hymns are merely certain types of psalms in Scripture. Um, You need to know that. You may say, why do I need to know that? Because the majority of Protestant history has believed that. (laughs) I think they're wrong. Um, I I think that when, when the apostle says that we are to sing psalms, he is talking about us singing them again in a Christological way, wanting us to understand the redemptive historical development, wanting us to read them through a New Testament lens. Otherwise, there's no reason to have all wisdom. There's no reason to use wisdom and to be skillful if if all we're doing is merely just singing the psalms. I think we're to sing the psalms. We should love the psalms. We should love singing the psalms because God has inspired the psalms to be sung. We should love singing other inspired uh, songs in scripture. I think when when the apostle says hymns, he's speaking of other canonical songs that are in the Bible. Again, the song of Moses in Deuteronomy, the song of Miriam in Deuteronomy, the song of songs. Have you ever thought about that? There's so much debate over the song of songs. It is the song of all songs. Why would we not sing it? Interestingly, a lot of reformers sang it. Because they understood it was about Christ and not just an earthly erotic love song. Um, the song of songs, Habakkuk, Mary's song, Zachariah's song, Elizabeth's song, all of those inspired songs, we should love to sing the word of God with all wisdom. And then I think when the apostle says spiritual songs, he is talking about those songs that the Holy Spirit produces through his people i think they would include the great hymns of the church those hymns by newton those hymns by cowper and watts and wesley and 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 all these men and women that god has given us and cousins the great hymns that the holy spirit has produced by taking his word and working it into his people's lives and sewing it into them and bringing out this beautiful tapestry that becomes part of the rich repository that the church sings throughout the centuries. And so we see what we're to sing, and in a sense we've already seen how, but I want us to look, notice, at the final part of this with how we're to sing. Notice that Paul next says we are to sing with thankfulness in our hearts to God. Um. I'll let you look this up on your own, but there's a place in Amos where God is bringing an indictment against Israel. He says, I hate your feast. I hate your worship services. I hate everything that you do. And then he says, keep your songs. I don't want to hear them. Oh, it's terrible. It's, it's absolutely terrible. I actually think about it a lot when I'm up here singing. Am I singing with Redeeming grace and thankfulness in my heart to God according to the scriptures, the word of Christ dwelling in me richly, or am I just going through the motions and I'm just ritualistically trying to just go through the motions? God says He hates that. He hates any worship that is not from the heart. Notice, notice in your hearts to God. There is that, again, that, that vertical and that horizontal dimension. We are teaching one another even as we are singing to God from the hearts. We are praising God. He is enthroned on the praises of his people, and as he is being enthroned, as we are singing loud praises, as he is getting the glory due to his name, as our songs are ascending to him from thankful hearts, and we're instructing one another, we are seeing contours of God's redeeming work in Jesus. Let me let me say this as clearly as I can this morning. For what should you be thankful? You should be thankful that Jesus has died for you and risen again. What makes your heart thankful? The redeeming work of God in Jesus Christ. Why should we let the word of Christ dwell on us richly? Because it's the word of our redemption. Because God has done everything that we could never do for ourselves. And he has done it perfectly and fully in Jesus Christ. And if I'm not singing out to the Lord, then I have forgotten that. I am not fixing my eyes on Jesus. He is not my favorite song leader, and he is not the author and finisher of my faith at that moment. The apostle would tell us that when we come together to sing, we are come together with thankfulness. In Ephesians, he says, with grace. In our hearts, singing to God. And then notice verse 17, and I think this is so fascinating. You know, there's always these verses in the Bible. I'm, I'm in the middle of writing something called Jesus Loves the Rich. I'm always trying to be provocative. Jesus loves the rich, because he did. He redeems rich, some rich people. Um, and uh, very interesting, the verse, uh, in, in, With God all things are possible, which is not about benching 300 Contrary to what the banner at the local gyms may tell you, um, uh, I have a friend who said, um, you know, his, he, he had a friend that said he believed I can do all things through Christ means do all these amazing, super amazing things. And he said, obviously, you can't interpret scripture properly through Christ because that's not what that verse means. Um, it means learning contentment. Um, with God, all things are possible, is Jesus saves some rich people. What seems impossible with men is possible with God. That's the context. And, and here, here's one of those other verses in verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And, and we get it right. It means whatever we do. So if you think it means whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, you're right, because that's what the verse says. But the context is in obeying the command to let the word of Christ want us richly, to sing with all wisdom, to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, to make melody in our hearts to the Lord with thankfulness. Isn't it interesting? What the apostle is saying is that If I am going to obey the Lord who has redeemed me, and part of that obedience is singing the word of Christ to him intelligently, thoughtfully, biblically, passionately, gratefully, that is part and parcel of what it means for me to do whatever I do in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let me put it this way. If you, like I, want to become a more thankful person to the Lord, one of the ways you can start that is by singing with gratitude to the Lord in the midst of his people. In the name of Christ, letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's one of the, that's, there's a good starting point. How can I become a man or a woman? I can't become a woman, but you can if you're a woman. How can we become someone, someone who is a thankful person? In all that I do, one of those ways is that we can sing from the heart to the Lord with gratitude, thankfulness, the word of Christ. Now, I want to I wanna just close our time together by uh, importing something that's not in the text, though it's taught elsewhere in scripture. I mentioned at the outset of the sermon that uh, in Psalm 22, Jesus uh, is said to say to his father, uh, "I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing your praises." And then in Matthew twenty six thirty is the only time we find Jesus singing. He's in the upper room with the disciples, and he's leading them in a hymn. And and when we come to sing, how how can I become someone that sings the way? I have been commanded to sing in Colossians 3, 16 and 17. I can only do so if I remember that Jesus is the great high priest. Uh, in the words of Herman Bavink, the heavenly liturgist who leads us in heavenly worship, who guides our singing. I want to tell you a little story. Edmund Clowney, um, who has done a lot of work on Christ in the Psalms, he said one time... Um, When we're singing in worship, we should love to share our songbook with Jesus. That's that's the idea, is that when I'm singing, I should remember that Jesus is leading me in singing those praises to God, and that in a very real sense, I am next to him, sharing my songbook with him. I have a friend who has a a very well-known music minister in his church who has a phenomenal voice, opera-trained, And he says, you know, when I stand next to him, he has such a delightful voice. He says it does two things. It drowns out my own bad singing. I know that. And it elevates the timing of my singing. Now, when we have our eyes fixed on Christ in worship, and when the eyes of our hearts are fixed on Christ, and we are symbolically sharing the songbook with him, and he is singing next to us and leading us, it drowns out any bad singing we might think we have. There's plenty of it that we do have. And, and it, it, it helps us with the timing of our singing spiritually. That's what Jesus does for us. Now, I want to exhort all of us to be a people that give great heed to what the Lord says in Colossians 3. Um, <clears throat> If, if you walk out of here and you say, yeah, it was nice, I know that, great, and, and you are not animated to sing out to the Lord in obedience to Jesus, then, then that's just sheer disobedience to the Lord. And it shows that you don't get the gospel. And it shows that you don't understand that a part of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus is to purchase the songs of his people. Jesus died to purchase your singing and to sing with you and to lead you into singing in heaven. Part of why Jesus shed his blood is so that we would become a singing people. And that means when people come into our assembly, they should say, you know, there's not many people there. Okay, but man, they sang out. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I've experienced that. Been in, I've been in a congregation of 30 where people were singing out. And I said, that's a church where the spirit is. And I've been in a, a church of 2,000 where nobody sang. Oh, please listen to me, dear people. Numbers mean absolutely nothing when it comes to this. Nothing. Um, I want to encourage you to be learning the great hymns of the faith. You know, the Trinity Hymnal is wonderful because it's done the hard work of collecting so many of those time-cherished hymns. Um, There's a reason why the words that we sing have been Um, encapsulated in history in the great hymnals that we have. Um, I was blessed to grow up in a home that was very musical. And probably uh, among those hymns my dad taught me as a boy and he taught me many. My favorite was God Me, O Thou Great Jehovah. And about a month before my mom died, we began teaching our boys God Me, O Thou Great Jehovah. And um, And we got to sing it over my mom as she was on life support. And it was one of the most precious things I've ever experienced. Um, Only those who want to obey the Lord uh, with regard to this imperative will ever have those experiences in life. And they are so sweet. And you would not trade them for anything in the world once you've had them. Um, We had a worship service in the hospital. You know, God is so wise and so good to us. Our God commands us to sing. He gives us songs to sing. He gives us his spirit. He gives us his word. He gives us thankful hearts. He gives us more grace. He, he stirs us up to want these things. I hope that he does that for you. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear this morning what the spirit says to the church. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you that you are a God who loves to hear your people sing your praises. Thank you that you have redeemed us so that we might be a people that sing your praises for all of eternity. That we might sing with that heavenly host, you are worthy. For you were slain and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tongue and tribe and people and language. We pray, our God, that you would stir us up to be a singing people in the here and now. We pray that you would make us a people that love to gather with your people and to be full of the word of Christ and to teach one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and to sing with melody in our hearts. Our God, please stir us up to do that even this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.